welcome, welcome back to another episode of Hot Boy Film Club. I'm here with two of my very best friends, Joe and CJ. How's it going, guys? Hey. Yo! Yo. Good, good. I uh, hope you all are having a great holiday, uh, no matter what holiday you're celebrating this time of year, uh, whether you're just spending time with your families or just enjoying some vacation. Hope you're enjoying it, staying warm. Uh, those of you that are in warmer climates... Well done. Uh, those of you that are not, uh, you'll resonate a bit further with this film. Uh, this week, we're talking about The Hateful Eight, uh, released in 2015 with a runtime of two hours and 48 minutes, uh, originally released here in the United States, uh, directed and written by Quentin Tarantino, top build cast Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Leigh, and Walton Goggins. Uh, available for rent uh, on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, and YouTube. And quick synopsis, in the dead of Wyoming winter, a bounty hunter and his prisoner find shelter in a cabin currently inhabited by a collection of nefarious, why do I not have the last word there? Strangers. Nailed that's it. odd. I remembered it off the top of my head, but it's strangers. Uh, that's weird. Um, anyway, uh, I honestly had never seen this film. So the reason I chose it was because, you know, here we are in the cold. Um, didn't want to do anything based on the holidays. So I figured, ah, why not do something that completely skews in the opposite direction? So this is a good one. I uh, hope you guys stayed warm while watching it. Or maybe you just turned on the AC and decided to embrace the blizzard. Um some fun notes about this one uh, while I was putting all this together. Uh, the shooting they did in Colorado, uh, Telluride, Colorado to be specific, uh, apparently had a long stretch of very nice weather that made it very difficult to shoot snow scenes. So a lot of, uh, you know, effects had to be put together as far as like large fans, starch and things like that to block out the sun. Uh, to really keep the appearance of the blizzard. Uh, I love this. They took it even a step further to do what is called a ski burn. Um, this kind of ritualistic, uh, if you've heard of rain dances where you, you perform this dance to summon rain, a ski burn is effectively the same thing to summon snow. Uh, I just want to note that Quentin Tarantino, Samuel Jackson, and Kurt Russell participated in this ritual. And to just the visual image of them out in the cold, just trying to like cause it to snow by performing some elaborate ritual is just hysterical to me. Uh, but coincidentally, a few days later, it did actually snow. They got a huge blizzard in that allowed them to continue shooting, uh, which is really funny. The other thing about this, uh, there are three references to Django Unchained uh, in this film. Uh, the first is when Major Warren is introduced. Uh, he's sitting on top of three corpses with a saddle that was previously owned by Django. Uh, the second is Django's green corduroy jacket, which is sitting on the floor of Minnie's haberdashery. And uh, the last is uh, Walton Goggins being called a hillbilly in both films, which is just kind of a <laughs> extra note there. Uh, the last thing, and I mentioned those to lead into this, is that this would have been an entirely different film, in my opinion, but we'll talk about that later. Django was supposed to be featured in this, and Tarantino scrapped the idea, yeah. which would have been very interesting. But anyway, I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on this film. Um, I honestly enjoyed it. A really great ride all the way through, um, even for the length of time that it is. If you haven't seen it out there, definitely recommend. But CJ, Joe, what do you got? Uh, man, <laughs> I, I I enjoy Tarantino in general. Um, I think we I all like do. I think movie. we're all Tarantino yeah. fans. 
Um, uh, is this my favorite Tarantino movie? Uh, maybe not. It, Absolutely it's, not. Absolutely it's not. it's up there. Um, I love the cinematography in this movie. If I had been able to see mm. the the seventy millimeter uh, roadshow version, yeah, uh, when it was first making the rounds, I'm pretty sure I would have died a little bit. How amazing that would have been because <laughs> I, the it's so good and it's funny to it's funny to use such a wide format um, and then set the majority of the film inside. Yeah, but yet it's still handled so well. Everything is blocked uh, incredibly. Um, the set design's great. Like it, it's n- no space is wasted, and it's 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 excellent. Um, well, man, where do you even begin? Uh, <laughs> one thing I really love about this movie in general, though, um, this is I guess a, a quick Tarantino in general commentary. Um, you mentioned Django Unchained um also a great movie um what i like about the hateful eight though is it feels like a stepping stone between uh django unchained and then tarantino's most recent film uh once upon a time in hollywood Mm. and what i mean by that is is, uh uh, uh, fuck um it's a stepping stone in terms of, of tarantino's uh filmmaking you know it's it's more refined by the time we get to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I think it's really interesting to see the clear trajectory from Django to Hateful Eight to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I know Hateful Eight almost didn't get made at all. The script got leaked, and Terrence yeah. like freaked out. And I guess I don't blame him, but I'm I'm glad he went through with it because yeah, you don't blame him. Yeah, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is I, the more time that goes on has I think maybe become my favorite Tarantino film. And I don't think we would have gotten that level of quality and refinement in his filmmaking ability if it wasn't for the hateful eight. Um, that all being said, uh, obviously the casting's great. I love Kurt Russell as the hangman. Uh, Walton Goggins is hilarious in everything he does. Um, I love that man. Um, always great to see Samuel L. Jackson, obviously coming back to work with Tarantino. Um, I will say the, when I first watched it, uh, and I think about this every time I watch it, uh, Channing Tatum's name coming up in the opening credits spoiled this movie for me, uh, because the entire time I was watching it, I kept being like, where is Channing Tatum? And then finally, you know, we get to the point where he makes himself known, uh, that kind of bummed me out when I watched it. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) um i could keep i could just keep rambling i'm gonna let cj get a word in and then we can hit some of your points craig because i'm sure some of the stuff i'll ramble yeah good go ahead it's funny you say that because i think i don't if i don't if i remember correctly the original interstellar poster does not say matt damon but matt damon does show up so i feel like tarantino could have did like something along those lines i don't know if it's if it comes down to like Hollywood politics, like your agents, like, no, my, my guy needs to have his name. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, yeah, like, I don't know if it came down to that. Um, but if I'm chanting, I'm like, nah, like I want it to be like a surprise, but that that's neither here nor there, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I have more highs than, than more ups than downs in this. And I, I think I wrote down every quote that I 
fucking laughed at. Um, <laughs> you, we talk about like Django, but it's like I think the line where blacks don't like being called niggers no more is like a homage to Django too. I think <laughs> you can add that to the to the homage to Django. I love the casting. Um, I think Tarantino's on the, in my opinion, the Mount Rushmore of directors. That's just me. Um, the only other bad thing about this film is produced by the Weinstein's. Take that as you will. Uh, yeah, Chris Chris <laughs> Chris Maddox's character I wrote is way too close to home. <laughs> like, it's just like yeah, that I also feel like Walton uh, Walton's uh, Goggins just has like that I could play a racist name and just like every time you see his name, Bobby, like <laughs> yeah, you probably gonna be saying some racist shit in this film. Um, the other the other line I wrote down is uh, when niggas are scared, white folks are the most safe, which I think unfortunately still holds true today uh that's mm-hmm. a conversation for another day um that's uh <laughs> oh the uh the the random line where he, he tells um i forgot who says it but he's like that door is a whore because <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh okay uh i love the the red apple tobacco cameo i love that mm, yeah. um the line given by the 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 uh who's it the the general uh i don't know that nigger but i know he's a nigger <laughs> that's that's another funny line i love the philadelphia name drop and and i love samuel's line um the only time black people are safe is when white folks are disarmed um my other negative was hearing channing tatum say the n-word i kind of broke my heart a little bit but you know it is film i know he didn't mean it um and and the, the at the end when uh what's uh what's uh uh Jennifer's character um Daisy I don't know why her name is Daisy Daisy when Daisy goes you picked the wrong time to be a nigger lover it's like oh god like, like, yo, this movie this movie has so many great fucking quotes I just I love it um I agree with you Joe um this is one of his his better films. It's not my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite, obviously, will be revealed later on because I'll probably do an episode on it. Um, but I do agree that you do see where he went from Django, which Django was, in my opinion, a really great film. And you mm-hmm. see where he did here. And then you do see what he did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And me watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood over and over again, not over and over, but like watching it more than once, makes me appreciate it more because I got kind of ruined about like what the movie was supposed to be about. So I thought that's what the whole movie was about. So it kind of ruined my first viewing of it. But once I watched it the second time, knowing not to think that and what that subject matter was about, I definitely have a different appreciation for that film. Um, Samuel L. Jackson is great. I love the score in this film. Oh yeah. Um, the music's really the dope. music is fucking dope. And um, it's, it's like, you can't, Anytime Samuel Jackson just wants to be like it, it, it like I, I guess like we in a way um, we kind of look at like Samuel or not not we but I feel like some people kind of view Samuel as like the the black version of like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt where it's just kind of like oh it's just them playing this archetype or this emotion but I feel like Samuel takes it a different level is like it is like I, I love seeing 
old Samuel in a Western in during this time dealing with yeah. this shit being Samuel Jackson. You know, like I love seeing Samuel Jackson be Samuel Jackson as Uncle Tom and Django. Like you like you love that type of shit. Like and I love that he brings that about him and you know he did an interview recently saying that he doesn't do movies for like the awards. Like he's just like I'm I'm doing movies because I want to have fun and I enjoy acting and I think that's what acting should be about. Even Jake Gyllenhaal came out and said, once I stopped doing films that I felt like I had to do because of awards, I started enjoying the art more, which I, I love. I love that about Samuel because I feel like that's where he's at now with why he has so much fucking fun doing everything that he does. Um, this this movie is just it, it's solid. Like it, I don't I don't have any like negative technical aspects to it. Um. The one thing about Kurt Russell's character, I feel like you kind of knew that he was going to die because I just felt like his character was just swinging his dick around in front of everyone's face <laughs> like, constantly. Yeah. And, which is fine if that's how the character's meant to be written. But it was just kind of like he kind of was setting himself up by no one touched my 10 grand. And no one just like, bro, like, nigga, I feel like I should just murk you now. <laughs> like, just like just, just because you keep talking about this shit. Like, bro, like, and just him just trying to feel like he was above everybody else and just, oh. The scene about the letter from Lincoln. Oh my <laughs> goodness! That scene is probably one of like like just seeing how hurt, <laughs> seeing how hurt, how hurt that man was when he said that's all bullshit. He said, "Did I hurt your feelings?" Yeah, you actually did. <laughs> like, Yo. That scene is hilarious. And just him tearing up when he was reading the letter. <laughs> and, and and Daisy spitting on it. And then uh, and then like that was the weird part too. It's like he he punches her out the fucking carriage. But it's like he knew the letter was fake. <laughs> I just gotta keep up with the parents. It's like <laughs> overall. I'm 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 with this film. Let's 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 uh let's get let's get to your points first. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a okay. little windy. Um oh, God. So I mean, as we know, like I, I don't have the the background you guys both do as far as film. So like all the notes that you guys mentioned, I figured would be mentioned as I was doing the research for this one. Um, primarily for this, uh, I just enjoy the ride that was the overall story. Um, I do get a kick out of a good mystery now and then, so just getting into this was fun. Uh, and then getting into the point of like just figuring it all out toward the end. The one thing I will say, the negative that I have on this one is. Uh, I'm a bigger fan of a mystery when the audience is presented with enough information that they can figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, in this one, I went back and rewatched a few different scenes to see if there were hints and whatnot as to what was going on. And unfortunately not like they, in the scene specifically where uh, Joe Gage goes to poison the coffee, we do not get an angle the entire time that uh, Warren is talking with the general about how he killed his son. We do not get an angle on the coffee even for the wide shots uh the, the way this is shot like we get all these interesting angles where we have more than one person in scene at some point while the two of them are having a conversation and we never get a glimpse back in that direction um specifically toward the dinner table uh and then toward where joe gage is when that whole act starts to happen um so i kind of just wish that this would have taken a bit more route of like leaving it in the audience's hands or giving the audience a chance to figure it all out because that's just more fun for me regardless but otherwise uh i did enjoy this entire story all the way through um the opening uh 
Yeah, Joe, I definitely got to agree. Um, seeing uh, Channing's name um, in the credits uh, did, did absolutely ruin that for me. Uh, it was just like the entire time waiting to see where his character would pop up. And so when it finally happened, I was like, okay, like finally we get this. <laughs> um, but uh, John Ruth and Warren, uh, Major Marquis Marquess, Warren, uh, in the beginning, immediately pulled me in um john ruth uh who presents himself as this this untrusting bounty hunter um who you know we find eventually allowed himself to fall prey uh to daisy over this 10k bounty um which one thing i love about it is that it's presented several times that no one ever said the work was supposed to be easy like we know the entire time that the film he could have just killed her and his life would have been so much easier uh but it just doesn't happen when the hangman gets you you're well, gonna yeah, hang man. Right? Exactly. Exactly. But like of course what ends up happening, uh which just has so much it's just it's it's a great story all the way through. Um and it's funny that you mentioned John Ruth's character, Chris, because he Yes, swung his dick around quite a bit, uh, but was so correct on so many of his points and just no one wanted to listen to the uptight or not so much the uptight, the the ornery John Ruth, who just presented everything with a straight bull face, uh, unflinching, unyielding, and in the end, it kind of just completely fucked him over. But I'm more or less curious if, like, so, okay, as far as the hangman goes, um, did Daisy's 10K bounty really justify the work needed to keep her alive as far as john ruth is concerned like yeah the hangman hang you know gets you and you're gonna hang but like was it worth it considering we, we find out later on in the film that there were others in that gang that were worth so much more i think that to answer your question, like, was she like, is she worth the ten grand just to keep alive? I I feel like if you got your like, you, like he he prides himself on being the hangman. Like, I don't, don't want to rob the hangman out of a job. Like, I I, I get that, but if hmm, I feel like if like maybe had he did kill her, they wouldn't have had to stop at Meanie's haberdashery, like because they could have just kept going all the way to. Is it Red Rock? Red, yeah, yeah, Red Rock. Yes, it could have kept going because it, it wouldn't. It wasn't being that like, oh, I need to feed her. I need to keep her going. Like, I like uh, maybe they would have been able to still keep going had she been already dead. But I don't know. Um, like it, it's hard. It's hard to talk about it knowing the hindsight of like he was going to get set up either regardless or whether you believe that there's a bunch, there was more gangs uh, members at Red Rock, but. I feel like if you if you go about your work a certain way, like you're gonna stick to it. Especially someone of his caliber. Like he he prides himself in being what he's known as. So it, it wouldn't have mattered if because of this blizzard or because of this or because of that, like he definitely was just more I got I gotta do what I do because it's what I do. So Yeah, objectively it'd be way easier and to just kill her. It wasn't worth keeping her alive, but that that's his no. MO. Um, the same way, <laughs> uh, Samuel Jackson's character, he, 
specifically says he doesn't like working that hard. That's why he always brings him in dead. Um, I think it's funny you mention you mentioned the thing about you have all these other people in her gang that are worth like equivalent or even more. Uh, and one thing that I think is really funny about this movie kind of in that regard is all of these characters are, are some level of uh, I guess like infamous or have a chip on their shoulder or some sort of big wig, but no one knows who anyone is. Half the dialogue in this movie mm. is always someone either explaining who they are or who someone else is and why they're important. And something about that's just really funny to me that you can have a full group of characters that all are so quote unquote accomplished, but like yeah. no one really knows who they are. And it like trivializes sort of this, this grandiose character they have. And I don't know it, that's funny to me for some reason. Uh, but then in that interesting point though, uh, cause we do find that it almost seemed like a lot of them were feigning, not knowing who the other person was. I mean, obviously we have the gay members who made up, who they were and had to explain those things. Uh, but as far as Warren having to explain himself when we knew that the general, uh, well, we come to find out the general knew who he was. Uh, and then you had, you know, John Ruth explaining who he was, as well as knowing that the rest of the team, or in hindsight, knowing the rest of the gang that was there knew exactly who he was. Uh, and even describing who Daisy is, because Daisy gets described through several times. She's like, do you know who she is? Do you know who she is? Do you know who she is? Like, she's mine. 10K is mine, and I intend to keep it that way. Uh, but no, I do find it funny that there were so many points where people were explaining who they were uh, and what things they'd accomplished, and everybody just kind of being like, okay, well, you know. Like, even the hangman, uh, Mowbray, who's just like, yeah, I, just, I go from town to town. It's like, okay, you go from town to town, and, like, none of these people have heard of you? Like, a Warren who <laughs> collects bodies in groups that hasn't heard of you? Like, it's, I just thought that was very interesting. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up uh, as, as, as a debate, I guess, is uh, as far as Warren is concerned, we get that entire interaction between him and Chris Maddox in the stagecoach where Warren is is presented as this uh kind of a psycho as far as he just wants to kill white people any way that he can um and and joins the army because that's exactly or joins the 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 civil rights war uh civil rights war thank you uh i'm having morning that's totally fine uh joins the civil war because it's going to allow him to do just that uh and then we find that not only has he killed uh people from the south uh the rebels but he's also killed on his side as well um so where do you guys sit on that line as far as his character goes because like in my mind warren may have had all of the right and the power to do what he did but i'm sorry i, I don't care what position you held in a war you are a psycho who was just had a had a means to do what you wanted to do but murder was the ultimate goal and that that's pretty much all you wanted to accomplish so i'm just curious um, I feel like it, it sounds like Warren used to be a uh, slave, so <clears throat> it gives his bent up his pent up resentment. Um, is is pretty strong. I, I feel like I don't know. I'm on the side of like you, like probably like no matter what. Like, I don't know. I can't say no matter what. Like, I his his justification for wanting to kill white folks is a bit extreme. I, I can say that. That's a bit extreme. Um, I'm 
I don't know what it's like to be a slave. I don't know what it's like to be in slave conditions. So I'm not going to say that, like, who the fuck is he to do that? But I do think, like, regardless of if it's an agreement or a disagreement, we can all agree that it, that, is an, that is an extreme thought process to join a war and become part of the war to produce said uh, objective. <laughs> so I, I, I can live with that. Um, it's, it's hard. Cause you're like, okay, cool. Like Warren's like this, this, like this funny character and this, that, and the third, but it's like, if you, if you strip the, you know, you strip them down to the bones, it's like, all right, man, that's you did. You did some really fucked up shit. And I think that's where even Chris Maddox was like, yeah, cool. Like you got to kill some of the, like the Southerners, but like you setting that place on fire, you killed some of your own people. And Warren's just like, I don't care. They was white. <laughs> like, it don't matter to me. Like that's that's, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, but again, like I'm, I can't get in the mind of that because that's not something that I've been in. I can't say that. Like, oh no. Like if, if I was a slave, I'd come out and you know want like peace offerings and sing kumbaya. I can't say that, but I can agree that regardless of the outcome of what he had gone through and where he was going forward, I would say it is an extreme reaction to said situation. Also, I don't know if he's maybe as bloodthirsty as Chris makes him out to be um, when he's like retelling that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, Yes, I guess to some degree, but I, I, I could almost picture it as, you know, the sheriff tells this whole story and and Warren just kind of rolls with it because that's a that's a good look for someone in his position to have. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's a black post-war bounty hunter. If he's got the notoriety that he is bloodthirsty and out for white folk, like, that that's a good look for him, man. So I... I, I think to some degree there is probably a level of he just keeps his mouth shut and rolls with it because it, it benefits him the same way he mentions how like the, the Lincoln letter um, kind of disarms white people that kind of plays into that a little bit as well. Um, gives him an extra level of, of power in a situation. So. Well, see, it's interesting that you mentioned that um, because yes, the Lincoln letter does become this tool that he uses to disarm people when he needs to present something to disarm uh and very much to uh the hurt of of john ruth's feelings he's like he tells us like you want to know why i did it like it got me on that stagecoach yeah (laughs) uh, which i thought was hilarious but the opposite side of that is we hear the cruelty um in his story to the general about killing his son well so Uh, my question do you think that that actually happened so that or is he just getting a rise out of the general so he can Shoot him. Well, so to continue on with your point, right, is that if he's rolling with it and we see that he can come up with such a cruel story, even if it is just a story, uh, something like Maddox's story would then, what, bait people to come after him for him then to display this level of cruelty and have it justified. That's my thing with Warren is that he has the means and is justified in how he's doing these things because he lets stories like Maddox's continue on, but also has this way of disarming people because he had a relationship with the president. And I find that mix in one character to be very interesting to both disarm and trigger people <laughs> in two different directions. I just find that hilarious. Yeah. But as far as the story goes for the general, uh, I don't think it happened. 
I don't. Um, I, I do find it funny that for something that maybe didn't happen, they did go and shoot the entire thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as far as the story goes. Uh, no, I think entirely he was trying to get a rise out of the general. But I think even more so, and this is where I have to question how big brain Warren actually is, uh, is the entire time he's noticed, the general hasn't moved. From the time that they arrived at Minnie's haberdashery, the general has remained in that same seat, moving about. We can see he's uncomfortable. We can see that he's cold after Maddox offers him a blanket. Even more so to the point, Warren gets him a bowl of food because as long as he's been sitting there, that man has not gotten up for the stew that is now just sitting there for anyone to take if they want it. And so was it just... It, it ties back into the story. Like, was it real? Was it not? Was he trying to get a rise or, or what? Um, Chris, I'm curious where you sit on that. Does, was it real or not? Um, and how big brain Warren was or wasn't? I, I, I think it's real because was, I, I'm trying to remember, was Warren in the haberdashery when the general was talking about his son? Because that conversation that he had with Warren, like Warren kind of brings up like, oh yeah, your son said the same thing about your wife. You know, like, I, I don't feel like he would just come up with that on the spot. Now, is he smart enough to do that? Yes. But I feel like there's a a level of why would his son come to Wyoming just randomly and your dad not know why you went to Wyoming and you just like like you, you like you don't even know what happened to him like there's there's no record of him at all like i feel like there's there's a reason for that and that's where it kind of plays along with Warren's kind of story cuz it would make sense that you know yeah like i tortured this man and made him suck my black dingus and uh made <laughs> sure he you know killed him afterwards so i think it's legit i think the story's legit so um very easily going back and having watched through those scenes a few more times uh i you know i have to agree the story is legit um only because warren is not in minnie's haberdashery when uh the general mentions to chris maddox as he's up here looking for his son and then maddox also asks um what his son had to come up here for uh to never be heard from again and we get the immediate reaction uh from the general seeing warren come into the space uh, and then at the mention of, oh, yeah, I knew your son. is like, you didn't know my son. Like, you didn't. Because he knows, as, as racist as he is, his son would have been, you know, if anything, ten times worse. Uh, and had he encountered his son, Warren wouldn't be alive, is is the general's thinking in my head. Mm. Um, and that, in that loop there just makes sense to me that the story may have been exaggerated as far as Warren is concerned um, in, in having made... Uh, Chester walked for about two hours, uh, Stark, through the blizzard or through snow until he collapsed and then made him uh, perform fellatio on him for a blanket. Uh, I think all of those details were definitely added to get a rise, but uh, the the killing of uh, Chester by Warren, I think, definitely happened. Yeah. Oh, uh, one of my favorite lines in this film uh, comes from Tim Roth. Uh, as Oswaldo Mowbray, uh, Mowbray. Talk of, yeah, <laughs> Mr. Mowbray, uh, the hangman, uh, which I did have to say, I found interesting that the hangman, 
as Waldo, the character anyway, uh, was so very well dressed. Whereas John Ruth comes in and says, you know, I bring all of my bounties to the hang because um, I don't like cheating the hangman. Um, they deserve their fair share. Uh, and yet we see the hangman here who is very well dressed, uh, has these spectacles that kind of speak to like, if you are the hangman, then clearly you're not hurting for money. Right. Uh, so I just thought that was interesting, that point, and something that John Ruth didn't seem to really pick up on. Uh, but we do get to the point of the man who pulls the lever that breaks your neck will be a dispassionate man. And that dispassion is the very essence of justice. For justice delivered without dispassion is always in danger of not being justice. Uh, which I thought was very interesting. And for me, gets even better um, recalling it toward the end of the film where we do see that Daisy is hung by uh, the sheriff and Warren. Um, but in my opinion, that wasn't exactly dispassionate. Um, so I, I'm curious to see if you guys thought of any parallels between that storytelling, uh, the the explanation of that quote um, in as far as the essence of justice and how that ties into Daisy's ultimate demise. She gets uh, she gets frontier justice. Yeah. <laughs> which is also yeah. what uh, the uh, Oswaldo talks about a little bit as well, the difference between frontier justice and, and real justice. Um, and it is funny because he does, he says something to the effect of, uh, about how frontier justice often gets it wrong, which is a funny perspective to think about, um, you know, Daisy meeting that fate. And of course, uh, of course, Oswaldo would think that's wrong uh, in that regard, at least. They're, they're part of the same gang. Um, I don't know, something about that's kind of ironic. Um, but yeah, no, I, I guess I see what you're saying. Uh there is, they're not dispassionate at all. So yeah, no, it wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's necessarily true justice uh, as Oswaldo would put it. It really is more the, the frontier justice that he explains. <laughs> I, just that, that scene of her being hanged, like, uh, <laughs> I ain't dead yet. But he's like, he's like, don't shoot her. <laughs> John Roof was a good man. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> he was taking her to hang and that's exactly what we gonna do <laughs> just both of them just laying in the bed like hanging this girl it was insane <laughs> and then them laughing about it it's just like good lord oh man yeah as they just that, watched which was dude, like that was fucking crazy that was mm. and just like I, like Joe said, I agree. I, I think that's more like frontier justice. I there's, uh, yeah, like I I feel like real justice probably would be her like serving her time, but that wasn't like a real thing back then. So, and also I think uh, interesting point is like they talk about her killing a man, but they never give like the details of like why, like or if she actually did it, or was she just a part of the gang? And they were trying to use her to draw the other parts of the gang out. So I, I always think about that when I watch this film. Um, well, getting into that, I do think that Daisy did a hell of a job uh, as far as manipulation uh, and keeping John Ruth uh, in belief that he was still in power, even after they entered Minnie's haberdashery. Because I mean, going back and looking at it, she had no reaction to seeing 
the members of her gang in this space posing as these characters. She had no reactions uh, other than like the slightest smirk uh, to hearing their stories about who they were. Um, even more so when John Ruth is talking to Joe Gage, looking at her, you can see her eyes kind of go from him back up to John and then back down to Joe. Uh, and there's only very slight expression. So like, I get the sense that Daisy was kind of just a master of manipulation in this sense. Um, and we see that kind of carried all the way through uh, even up until the end, where uh, she's attempting to convince Maddox to take the deal with her, where he has done no wrong, kill the nigger, and you know, get you know, get me free. Otherwise, the the additional gang members that are hanging out in Red Rock are going to destroy the town and then come here and kill you. Uh, just completely enjoyed how she played that all the way through. Do we think there were actually more gang members in Red Rock waiting? No, because if that yeah, was the case, so. they would have been there already. Yeah, you could have There's just got no it over reason. and done with in one fell swoop. Yeah. There's no reason to like set exactly. up this elaborate plan. That's what I was thinking. And if, if that was the case, like Joey wouldn't have been there himself. If if I'm the leader of the crew, why am I putting myself in maybe danger and not one of y'all? That doesn't so sound you wouldn't smart. put yourself in that position for your sister? For my sister, not necessarily. No, I like in, like, I don't know. Like, if that was my sister, like, we would have ran up on them, like, on the trail. Like, we wouldn't have waited to stop. Like, I would have taken them by surprise. And I think Warren like calls it out when he's like, "All right, they're trying to figure out who poisoned the 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 water." Oh no, not the water. Whew, poisoned the coffee. Is like y'all wasn't expecting the two of them to show up, which was Maddox and him which basically derailed the whole plan. So sister or not, like I would have been, we would have just waited in red rock. That would have been like the ultimate, like she, obviously she would have made it there by them trying to stop it at the haberdashery really just it solidified their demise. Like y'all could have just waited till she got to red rock, burn the whole town down and made y'all way to Mexico, which that is a, hell of a uh travel <laughs> from Wyoming. Um but him like yeah him waiting in the floorboard was just kinda like that that just seemed a little off for me to believe that y'all had more people waiting in Red Rock. Like nah I would have had my fifteen niggas under the floor waiting on y'all and we would have just taken out everybody and then meet me at Red Rock. That's just me. So then that leads me uh, to the idea then that in the grand scheme, while I enjoyed this film, I enjoyed the story, it almost feels, based on what you just said, that the story itself uh, completely taking place in, in Minnie's haberdashery, or even just overall having taken place, is a waste of time. Yeah. Um, right? Because if we're basically saying, like, I, I'm curious as to, and I, I don't know what thoughts you guys have on this, it almost seems like there's no reason the gang needed to be as undercover and, and covert as they did for when they were expecting one person. Um, I actually even laughed when they were being as covert as they were when it came to killing everyone in Minnie's Haberdashery because like, they all set themselves up in position to take out certain people. And I was like, why are they waiting? What, 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 is, the, what is the point in being so calm and quiet about this? Um, as opposed to just doing it, getting it over with, and setting up whatever it is you have to set up. And the same thing in, in lying in wait for John Ruth. Why not just kill him the second he enters the door? 
Uh, instead, we have this entire setup where uh, Senor Bob goes out uh, <laughs> and helps them with the horses, sets this whole thing up uh, to get the others into the stable while also doing the horses. And we see Warren, um, who immediately digs into this in, into this mode of you know, Minnie left you in charge of this place and all the questioning we get there, which sets us up to believe that Bob is the problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but honestly, why not just kill everyone coming through the door as soon as they enter? Like, what, what, what would be the issue there? And not that you guys would actually have an answer to that, but I'm just curious what your thoughts would be, because at this point, it does feel like a waste of time. Well, then it would have only been a 30-minute Tarantino movie, and we can't have <laughs> yeah. that. So... Um, I mean, I know Jody specifically says that something to the effect of how uh, John Ruth will have a gun pointed at Daisy's belly and like he doesn't want anything to happen to Daisy. Um, and that's, I mean, just that's how they lay it out, at least. They're just waiting for him to go to sleep so they can do it clean and quiet without like any potential bloodshed, especially like Daisy getting hurt. But I see your point. Like, there's, you know, how many of them? Four or five? Why not just <laughs> shoot, uh, shoot Kurt Russell down and be done with it? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, and that does crack me up. Um, in the sense that a lot of the characters in this film, uh, even some of the gang members, just kind of moved along. Uh, where Warren played in the grays of legality, right? And and we see this where he gets a rise out of the general who grabs the gun and attempts to shoot where we know that Warren is acting out of self-defense, which is, is a huge gray, gray space. Like you, you incited <laughs> all of that violence and then shot the man in cold blood. Uh, but, but by the black and white of the law, you were justified entirely in, in self-defense. Um, and then we do see all of the rest of the game members follow the ruling from Jody. Uh, we see John Ruth stick to his roles as, as far as his willing to go to the ends of uh the extra hard work do all the extra hard work i should say uh to get daisy to the rope uh to the to the noose um and i just thought that was very interesting because that's kind of just where this entire film for me is based on and just list, watching all these characters uh abide by these rules that they're placed under uh which without we honestly wouldn't have a story here yeah i mean that, that's, that's totally true. fair very but true. that's also you know i don't know Tarantino loves writing just dialogue and characters interacting, and no. I think this I mean, is you clearly guys know a product more. of that. I mean, he's, he's really <laughs> yeah. good at it. I mean, the the biggest the biggest flaw with a Tarantino script is net like it, it's never been the the ensemble tree of it. Like he knows how to write multiple characters and not make them sound the same, which is a, an incredible feat. But I mean. Tarantino's biggest issue with his scripts is just the random N words that just pop up. <laughs> just like so unlike the most of them are super unnecessary. But I will say, um, I the 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 part of the reveal of uh, Senior Bob not being who he was when Warren says that many used to have a sign that said no dogs and no Mexicans. Oh man. And mm-hmm. and that sign only got taken down because she started liking dogs. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You about to die. <laughs> you about to die. Uh, I, I think that's that part. A, um, that part too. It, it it's a good example of of a kind of a, a larger I don't know commentary or statement or something, uh, whatever you want to call it, in the film about how 
you know, basically everyone in this movie, it's post-Civil War. Um, all the characters essentially need someone to still hate. They need uh, people to kind of punch mm. punch below their weight at. Um, and, and, you know, obviously all the white folks uh, are still upset that uh, the, the North won and, and they, they can't keep keeping slaves, but they still clearly hate black people. Um, but then everyone is shitting on women, like consistently daisy's getting the the shit beat oh, out yeah. of her she's constantly treated like shit but then there's even a, a sub level to that you have like even Minnie, a woman a black woman still hates mexicans like it's just mm-hmm. this like tiered level of like okay who are we hating more now and um i don't know i just think that's interesting uh daisy's treatment in general the hate <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um daisy treatment in general in this film is also kind of interesting um it, it, I, you know i'm always going to bring up women's stuff well, um, yeah, no, i was waiting for it <laughs> <laughs> um you know she the, i know there there's there some back and forth uh, uh from feminists and critics on uh her treatment in this film um but i think it's it's pretty pro pro women in a weird weird way i mean she's treated like anyone else in this film you know she's it, treated she doesn't, like someone who murdered someone yeah she doesn't get any special treatment because yeah. she's a woman it does come up people are like oh you don't have any reservations about bringing a woman to hang and there's the line about uh you know, until they invent a trigger, a woman can't pull. You know, they're they're gonna get the consequences. Yeah, um, she's yep. never like sexualized or anything like that. Uh, she has no love interest. You know, uh, I think uh, Kurt Russell's character. I'm pretty sure he's the one who brings up uh, the idea of, or maybe it is Warren. I can't remember now. Uh, that's you know, one of her lovers or someone's gonna bust her out, but it's not. It's her brother. Like, there's no traditional uh like tropes there that we've seen in other media uh in terms of women like she's she's an individual character who commits the crime and and gets gets to to pay for that and and it's a weird fucked up way (laughs) to represent equality (laughs) but it's i don't know man it's there Uh, I definitely have to agree. Uh, one of the things that cracked me up about it, uh, the first time he strikes her in the cottage, I believe with the elbow to the face. Oh, yeah, he elbows the shit out of her. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, you know, black people don't like that word anymore. Or like, you know, black people don't like being called uh, nigger anyway, or, or anymore, anything like that. Um, I just, I, I laughed and then I had to pull up. I'm like, okay, wait, am I really about to watch this film where this man's just going to beat up on this woman the entire way through? And that's loosely the case. Like, he's giving her shit the entire way through. But about halfway through, just before John dies, like, he almost starts to soften up on Daisy just a bit. Not to the point that he's going to let her go and, like, they're, you know, it becomes a love interest or anything like that. But, like, as far as letting her play the guitar, as far as unshackling her, um, as adamant as he was about keeping this bounty and not letting anything else happen to her, uh, he starts to almost see her as uh, i mean you could argue this starts to slightly see her as a person where she's singing this song i mean ultimately about his demise uh which i i I definitely enjoyed uh 
but I, I do enjoy how like that happened where we get this this de-escalation of violence uh, as far as allowing her to eat, unshackling her so that they could both eat comfortably. As Considering they're both having to coexist for the next couple of days in this space, it's going to be uncomfortable. We can at least do it humanely. Um, where technically, as a as a murderer, she didn't deserve any of that, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And of course, it led to him being poisoned, uh, which I just laughed at when he went to go reshackle her, and she's screaming, "No, no, no!" Because she's immediately realizing I'm about to be <laughs> stuck to a dead body. Like that just cracked me up, dude. There were so many scenes in this that made me laugh so hard. Um, I'm sorry, Samuel getting shot in the balls. Shot I my almost, nuts I off. I fell over. I fell over. I was like, and I think it's castrating bastard. <laughs> uh, even with Maddox's Maddox being shot and having shot Oswaldo, uh, Senior Bob on the ground uh, with no face anymore, so that bounty's completely washed. Uh, and then we're just waiting for Joe Gage to get access to that final gun. Um, there's definitely that point somewhere in there where it's just like everyone here is gonna die. Um, and I will say this because like I'm not anywhere near as familiar with uh, Tarantino's work as you guys. In the moment that I had that realization, I was like, "Yeah, this is this is a Tarantino film. Like y- you get this interesting setup all the way through, and then one thing takes a hard turn, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, this is gonna end terribly bu- bloody. Um, <laughs> it's almost just gonna be completely out of a completely different direction. And I guess I'm just not as trained." to see that when it comes to his work uh like you guys are but i enjoyed it um definitely cracked me up you uh you mentioned the guitar and that's a funny tidbit oh uh, yeah yeah I was that was apparently like <laughs> a real antique guitar from like the 18 i don't know 70s or really something. um it got loaned to them by uh, a museum I think it was a martin guitar um they loaned it for production uh i'm pretty sure they were supposed to like swap it out or whatever for him to to smash it which yeah they um, were yep but kurt russell just he takes the real one and he fucking destroys that thing um and you can kind of see uh jennifer jason lee her reaction like after that yeah, her reaction more genuine is, yeah. than like some of her other performances throughout the movie because she's like oh shit you were not supposed to do that um yeah like almost practically one of a kind of guitar destroyed and uh now that museum no longer <laughs> cooperates with film productions yeah. to lend out any material <laughs> that sounds right that sounds yeah. absolutely right yeah um kurt kurt felt terrible after it happened it was it was purely just in the moment like totally forgot that he wasn't supposed to do that so yeah Oh, but it was so beautiful. I loved it. It, it was. Yeah, it was. was it, it, hey, that's, such a great scene. That's the the power of pure reactions. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Uh, just another thing. Uh, I really, I really love how much the sheriff hates Joe Gage for like no reason. He is adamant that like Joe Gage is the one who poisoned the the coffee. He says, if we're going by my theory, the ugliest one did it, and that means you, Joe Gage. Like, <laughs> That's he just has this fucking, like, he's out for blood for Joe Gage for no reason. And even when he ends up shooting, uh, the, the sheriff shoots Oswaldo, and, like, obviously that all pops off. Uh, sheriff gets shot, and he still looks, like, annoyed that he didn't get to shoot Joe Gage, that Joe Gage wasn't the one who, like, pulled the trigger and all this stuff. Um, and... 
Uh, I think it's funny too. The reason the that Maddox doesn't take the deal with Daisy is because she didn't warn him that he was going to drink the coffee. Like just something about yeah that character's level yeah. of pettiness is just it's oh, yeah. so funny. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's funny enough that you mentioned that because the thought that I had about that uh, is is Maddox just being jealous that Joe Gage can pull off this this loner cowboy uh, facade so much better than he may have been able to as a as a raider mm. uh, during the war, um, which I just thought was interesting. But yeah, you're not wrong. The the pettiness that was there because I was very conflicted and thinking to myself like he's gonna take the deal, he's gonna take the deal and shoot. Sam L in the face or Warren in the face and, and, and that's that's just gonna be the end of that. Uh and I will be disappointed. But then when he turned and laughed, it was just like super petty, like you didn't try to help me, so I'm not doing this for you. I just cracked up. <laughs> Very much so. CJ, as far as because uh, I do want to come back to the Lincoln letter considering that it's just it, we end the film with that, right? It's like can I can I can I read it? Can I read it? <laughs> uh the idea that something as simple as a made-up letter uh, can disarm uh, not only just people, but intended to disarm white folk. Um, I'm curious if there's anything you would have in a uh, in an almost arsenal of your own uh, that would kind of be the same thing as a, as a Lincoln letter. Uh, like in my life right now, or like if I live back then. No, I'd say in your life right now. Oh. Uh, uh, probably... I don't know, because I still get told I'm pretty intimidating to people when they first meet me, so I don't... I'm, I'm not sure what I would have to soften that blow. I guess I'd say my sense of humor puts people at ease. Um, I am, uh, when I try, I am quite funny. Um, I would probably say my sense of humor is what... Uh, they're like, oh, he's not going to rob me. He's just going to joke about it. You know, that that type of thing. <laughs> so I would say, yeah, my sense of humor is probably my Lincoln letter. Uh, just because, like, that's that's me out the gate. So, yeah. Gotcha. What's your Lincoln letter? Your left hand? Uh, honestly? I like in thinking about that. That you laugh, but legitimately. So for those of you that don't know, uh, I was born without a left hand. Um, and I knew at some point it would come up on the podcast. Not a big deal that it would be this, because yeah, that was absolutely my answer. Um, I kind of become non-threatening when people realize I don't have both my hands. Uh, that is really just a thing. Um, so I, I was curious, CJ, what your answer was going to be, because I knew exactly what mine was. But hey, look at I mean, this nigga what? disabled. We got a chance. <laughs> run, Susie, run. <laughs> Uh, it is a thing. Um, I did really find it funny when Warren was explaining the the point of the letter, um, as far as when Maddox points it out because he wanted to see it. Warren told him no, and then he goes the extra mile, Joe, to continue on with like how petty that character was, to point out to John Ruth. He's like, so you really think Warren has a legitimate letter from the president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln? They were pen pals, practically friends. Like you, and he just when he breaks out laughing, I couldn't help but join him in that aspect. I was like, "Yeah, you say it all the way through." There's, it's just, come on, dude, that's bullshit, and it should have been obvious from the jump. But uh, I did understand Warren entirely in the idea of having something that disarms white people uh, or white folk, or just disarms people in general. Because 
I feel like today that's something that still exists, that some people still just need to kind of have about them is something that disarms those around them so that they can feel like not only are they in a safer place, uh, but that the people around them don't need to be as on edge as they might be. Um, and this is funny that this actually follows uh, our conversation from last week with uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Uh, CJ, I was just very curious about your answer because yeah, my, my answer very simply uh, is my left hand. And that's pretty much just that. Uh, if I don't, uh, oh God, I don't even know what the actual term for it is, which is really interesting. I don't know the name for my own disability. Uh, no, that's a tough one. I guess I'll have to do some research, get back to you guys on that one. Although, wait, someone wait, out there wait, probably wait, knows exactly there, what it is. Is there, like, a legit, like... Is that, yes, there is. Is that considered a disability, or, like... Yes. Okay. And like, see, I like... love that that's your reaction, because I don't come off as disabled to a lot of people that know no, me. No, yeah, because, like, you didn't, like, lose that. your... You didn't lose your left hand doing something cool. Like, you just weren't born with it. Why does it have to be cool? Well, I guess being born without one is kind of cool, too. Your body's just like you don't need this, and you don't. You're like over thirty, and still still alive. Oh my so. god! I was in the womb and chose hard mode. This is this is it. Uh. <laughs> Yo, what Fucking if hell. what if you this were supposed to have a twin? Dude. What if you were supposed to have a twin, and like before your twin dissipated, it ate your left hand, and that's why no, you don't. No, we're no, we're not going any further down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Are there any other points uh, you boys want to talk about before we close this out? Oh, boy. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, I know not a top contender as far as Tarantino films for you guys, but I'm it's, it's just... top tier. It's just not. Oh, yeah, like, it's up there. I, I mean, Joe and I are different. Like we have our favorites, but then I like we all like personally feel like, all right, if I had to say what is Tarantino's best film, it would be blank blank. You know. Like I, I separate my favorite from what I think is his best. So Kill Bill, this is what you're gonna say. Oh, Kill Bill you is my blank. favorite film. Okay. Well you went Sorry, blank I blank just, and I was I like, the, Well, that's gotta be my My bad. But I it was it's a spoiler. My favorite Tarantino film is Kill Bill, volume one. Hands down. That's and that's a it's yeah. All with really good movie. me and the martial artness of everything and just all of that. That's just that's that's my that's my bringing. Um, that was my first Tarantino film, and if we ever do get to talk about that one on this podcast, it'll be great. a funny story about it. We, um, but I feel like his, like, I wouldn't say that that's his, his best film, so. Yeah, that is fun, and I, that's a fun thing about movies in general, is, like, you can have different categories of, like, this is technically the best, but this one's my favorite, and, like, they can be right. different, and I really, I appreciate right. that. Um, only other thing I'd want to mention about this one specifically, though, uh, I love Obi. Obi gets like, dude, <laughs> Obi. So we didn't mention dirty, him at all. <laughs> he is like such. He's such a good dude. His fashion is on point. Um, I'm not surprised. And like, that. dude, he looks great. I would wear that outfit like all winter. Yeah, um, I know you would. <laughs> but like. You know he's he's pretty chill. He he is logical. He's like, all right, we need to set up you know a rope from here to the outhouse, the stables, and all this stuff. Um, but he gets like kind of shit on, and like he eventually yeah he eventually snaps. Obviously, you know Kurt uh, he gets he's 
he he draws the short straw to to drag um was the general's body out or whatever like yeah, right after he was saying like i'm never going back out there again he comes in in a huff he rips the bear fur off and like lays down and he's just like fuck all you dudes i'm never leaving again and then immediately has to go outside and then just gets poisoned by happenstance man like he he gets done so poorly i feel so bad the for entire way through yeah. Uh, there was maybe a point in the first half hour of the film where I thought he might be the person in cahoots with uh with Daisy, mm-hmm. um. But then I was just like, that this character's catching way too much shit to be that important. <laughs> like I think this is meant to be just a little comical, and that's pretty much just where that ended up sitting. Uh, but yeah, no, Obi was a real one, and uh, and he died for it. <laughs> Rest in peace, Obi. Rest, in, Rest peace. in peace, Obi. Wow. Um, but without further note, um, thank you all for joining us. Uh, another episode of Hot Boy Film Club. Uh, if you get a chance to watch The Hateful Eight, uh, if you watched along with us, um, dealt with the blizzard, dealt with the cold, wrapped up, uh, thought of anything else funny, or maybe just want to let us know how you felt about some of the things we've talked about here today, uh, hit us up on any of our social medias or email us, uh, hotboyfilmclub at gmail.com and social media, Instagram and Twitter, uh, hotboyfilmclub. Uh, gather up there, DM, tweet, any of that. Uh, but otherwise, uh, coming up... Uh, wow, guys, we're closing out the end of the year. Yes, sir. Next, next episode is, is first it's of the year. It's a new year. First new year. Oh, my. 2023. Oh, wait, 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 wait. A good year. Uh, are we happy with our, with our 2022? Yeah, I'd say so. I made some big changes, and for the better definitely i mean we started this podcast so it's a a good (laughs) i mean yeah that's probably the biggest milestone this year that i get to brag about right and we all get to brag about we started a podcast about best friends just if this is a sign to anybody out there listening this is this is that sign do the thing that you want to do with your best friends because uh it's just gonna work out and it'd be great you'll have a great time just do it hell yeah coming up fresh on the new year we have joe's film El Topo, released in 1970. So it sounds like it's going to be a bit of a classic. So go check it out and come see what we have to say about it. But until then, everyone out there, have a happy new year. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us this far. Uh, if we haven't heard from you, we'd like to. But all in all, see you later. See see ya. Happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. year.